And now it's time for Dave's Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle Tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. But he understands its place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. So come along and take a listen to Dave's thoughts about the Walt Disney World Resorts and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, when I started this podcast about, oh, I guess it's been about three years now, when I started it a little over three years ago, I had the idea of creating a news segment about once every seven podcasts or so, just to produce news and talk about things that are happening around the Disney company, and in particular, the Walt Disney World Resort. And I never really anticipated it becoming more of a news show, but there is so much happening at the Walt Disney World Resort that it seems like for the last, oh, I don't know, six or eight months, there's been a news segment like very regular. So it's been kind of interesting because of the number of things that have been happening up at Walt Disney World. And I uh, was taking a trip up to Orlando uh, about a week or so ago, and I decided to stop at Downtown Disney and just see what was going on. And I was absolutely amazed at the construction that's going on there. So as you know, Downtown Disney, uh, what used to be the Disney Village Marketplace, what used to be Pleasure Island, and what used to be known as the West Side, are all under construction and going to become what's called Disney Springs. Disney Springs, the idea is to create a you know wharf-type environment where you have shopping and dining and maybe a little bit of nightlife going on, where people can go and spend a little time outside of going to the parks and do something fun. Now, if you've listened to my podcast about Pleasure Island and my podcast about the Disney Village Marketplace, you get a sense of what this was intended to be and sort of how it evolved into something different. And people are looking for more options and things to do while they're on their Walt Disney World vacation. This kind of comes with having the vacation club properties and having all of these different things there. So you're getting people to come to you and stay at the uh, Walt Disney World Resort for a week. But the theme parks can keep them occupied for maybe four or five days. But if they're there for a sixth day or a seventh day, they may not want to do the theme park that last day or two. Or it could be the day they arrive or the day they leave. So you're offering them other opportunities to do things. And back in the 80s and into the early 90s, you know, Pleasure Island really offered that nightlife and something to do that was different uh, and allowed people to go and have some fun. But the Pleasure Island concept kind of died out. I think, you know, times changed and people's attitudes changed and the club nightlife really wasn't what people were interested in anymore. So it became something else, a sort of a shopping and dining area. And the Walt Disney Company decided that they could make it something much more robust and create more. So they put in different establishments like Raglan Road and different things that people like. And even walking around there the other day, I was listening to people saying, oh, yeah, man, I'd love to just go in there and and get a little fish and chips and hear a little bit of Irish music and, you know, that kind of a thing. And that was kind of cool. And they even had, like, Irish step dancers uh, during the day that were out there, and they were greeting people, and they were doing a little show, and there was some music going on. And it's really kind of exciting. And if you have a bunch of restaurants and shops like that that do things, that engage people and invite them and uh, bring them in, then you're really changing the nature of it, and it makes it much more exciting and interesting, and people are going to want to go there. 
So the construction walls are all up now and they're diverting traffic around different directions because there's so much happening there. And it's really kind of interesting. And there's a parking garage going up over by the west side. Uh, that's going to be the larger parking garage. And it's well under construction now. It should be finished in the next couple of months, I would think. Certainly by summertime when more guests are coming to the parks, uh, I think they'll be ready and they'll have the uh, parking garage open. Right now they have people parking in the main part of the parking lot, back around behind where the west side is, where the Cirque du Soleil is. And they've also got people parking over um, across the street, over by the casting center and by the uh, uh, Team Disney building. And they have little shuttles that are going back and forth and have people walking around and uh, kind of directing traffic. And there's a lot of parking attendants, the uh, people who work in the yellow, stripe, yellow and white striped shirts, out there directing traffic too because there's just so much going on. But I'm amazed at how much is happening right now. I mean, you know, you, you can't even walk down some of the old, you know, streets and walkways that you used to be able to walk down because they've got some of them closed off as they build some things, some elements toward Disney Springs. So I will be curious how this all works out because I'm just, I'm interested in the whole thing. I think it's fascinating the way it's evolved from being the Disney Village Marketplace to being something else. My concern is, and it's, it's a very simple concern, Disney was trying to tell a story and the Walt Disney, when he would invent anything, anything he created, had to have a reason and a theme and some backstory to it, and it had to be something interesting. So the Disney Village Marketplace, when it, in its original incarnation, was really a place to go where they had all these artists and collaborators together, and they were showing their wares. So you could watch somebody, you know, making glass and things like that. And there was a lot of interesting things there, and it was just a place to go to be able to do a little shopping and get away from it all and kind of build a district where you had almost like a, a little, little, little mini city where you had a little shopping and maybe like a little grocery store or something where you could go pick up some things. And that was the intent, and it had a little story behind it. It wasn't much of a story, but there was a little story. Pleasure Island, when they created it, had a much bigger backstory and a much richer history in terms of the way it was developed. Very clever. Disney Springs doesn't appear, at least at this point, to have that much of a backstory to it. It's just a place to go that could take on what's called City Walk over at Universal, uh, Universal, the Universal area. The City Walk area is really shopping and dining, and people are just mobbing that place. It's actually in the area between the Universal Park and uh, Islands of Adventure. You kind of have to go through there, and you walk through there when you come through the parking garage, and you make your way into it. So there's all these uh, shopping and dining, and that's where the Blue Men Group play, and that's where they have all the different uh, shops and restaurants and things. And I think Disney is trying to capitalize on that same concept. So kudos to them for trying. I'm just not sure that it really tells the same story. Now, I imagine it'll be a little bit nicer than what the Universal City Walk is. No offense to people that created City Walk. I just I think it's kind of lacking a little bit of vision, and it gets a little congested because of where it's located between the two parks. But that's just my opinion. So I want to know what the story is. That's the piece that's missing to me, and that's what concerns me just a little bit, because now it's just become sort of a shopping district or a dining district, and it doesn't have that same richness of history and the story that goes along with it. So I'm going to have to do some more research and see if I can figure out if they come up with a story for it or where that all winds up. Now, interestingly, I happened to be there on the day that they made the announcement about the groundbreaking for Avatar Land. Now, I didn't know about it until about half an hour after it happened. Otherwise, I probably would have headed over and uh, tried to get in there to see it. But I missed it. And, uh, you know, I just heard about it a little too late, and I was, I was like, darn, I would, have, uh, I would have probably made it in there. Now, I'm still wondering about Avatar Land. I'm still not convinced that this is a viable option and a, a good idea just because Avatar, there's one movie... It, uh, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful masterpiece, a visual uh, eye candy kind of thing, but I don't see that it really has much staying power. 
I don't hear people talking about Avatar. I don't hear people going around and saying, oh, man, Avatar, I can't wait for the next movie. I just don't hear that same kind of buzz. Go on the Internet. You don't hear that buzz. After the Star Wars movie came out, the original one, Episode Four, A New Hope, uh, people were excited about it and really had that, that feeling. They wanted to see it. They wanted to see it again, and people were talking about it. And I kept hearing about it. There was no Internet at that time, but I kept hearing about it throughout that summer, the next summer. Oh, they're going to make another movie, and it was really there was a lot of excitement around it. And when Disney announced that they had an, a relationship with George Lucas, that they were going to build an attraction around it at Disneyland, that was all the rage. There was a lot of buzz around it, and people wanted to see it, and then they started talking about the movies again and how fascinating the storylines were. I just don't hear that same thing about Avatar. And I know there's two more movies that are due out, and they want to try to time up the theme land to when the movies come out. But I have to wonder how far they're going to take it. They talked about two rides, two attractions that they're going to make there, but they really want to have the themed land is really what they're after. And this is to take on the Universal Studios' approach to having the Harry Potter-themed land. They have the Harry Potter exhibit, and they have all these different things, and it had a tremendous success, and a lot of people went there. Disney opened Fantasyland, and it didn't have as much success as the Harry Potter ride. So they signed this agreement with uh, James Cameron to create Avatar Land, and it almost feels like it's a knee-jerk reaction to a point. Now, maybe they create something cool. Not saying it won't be cool, but I wonder how far they'll go in the time between now and when the next movie comes out. What if the next movie is a flop? What if nobody cares? What if, you know, he just he, people just come in and they go, yeah, that was nice, but it doesn't have that same staying power. The Harry Potter thing, how cool is Harry Potter? The books were a huge success. The movies were a huge success. They decided to do this land before the last couple of movies and books were even released, but there was already a hype around it and there was already a lot of interest in it. And people wanted to go to Hogwarts, and they wanted to be a part of it. But I just don't see that about the Avatar Land. Yeah, sure, it looks interesting, and there's a lot of potential to do some cool things, but how far are you going to take it? Are you going to build a land? Are you going to have a lot of attractions there? What are you going to do? And I also have to wonder about the timelines and what they're going to do with it. seems to me that, the, the, that they would have been better off spending more time and energy and effort creating the Star Wars-themed land that they already own and they have the rights to and they can do whatever they want to. I know they have a, an agreement with James Cameron, and that's part of the deal here. The other piece to the puzzle that came up, and I was thinking about the other day, was the simple fact that you look at all of the other three parks that they have at Disney World. And so the Magic Kingdom, they tend to, when the parks get crowded, they tend to stay open until 1 o'clock in the morning. Epcot, they're open usually till about 11. They'll soft close a little later, maybe closer to 12. The studios tends to be open till. 10 or 11 once in a while they'll like soft close it and let it go a little later but the animal kingdom always closes around the time of dusk now during the winter time they'll try to keep it open a little later because there's more people there so they'll go maybe you know till seven o'clock maybe a little later but it's not a huge amount into the night so that park closes really early and you want to try to distribute your crowds between the four parks. So how can you do that? Well, by opening another land that might be open later, maybe you could draw people to that park at a different time of day or change the traffic patterns that go through the park. Plus, you want to distribute your crowds throughout the parks anyway so that you have a little bit more even distribution and not everybody's in the Magic Kingdom all the time. You need to have more events and things happening over at the Animal Kingdom in order to have that happen. So... The Magic Kingdom always has its hype and its things, and there's the Christmas parade and whatever else going on. Then you have over at Epcot, you have the Food and Wine Festival, and you have the uh, Eat to the Beat concert series, and the Flower and Garden Festival, and all these different things that they do throughout the year. 
And over at the studios, you have Star Wars weekends and some celebrity weekends and some different things that you do. And at the Animal Kingdom, you really don't have much. So this is part of the effort, I think, to try and get more people going into the Animal Kingdom and building more hype to do more things there. Now, you have to protect the animals as best you can, and that's why they don't do a fireworks show over the Animal Kingdom, because they're trying to protect the animals. But I think you could do some things in certain parts of the park where there's really no interaction with the animals. So that would be like where Camp Minnie Mickey was, if you've ever been over to the Animal Kingdom. That's where they're putting the new Avatar Land. And there's a fair amount of land there, and they may take some of the pieces and parts that they had in mind for what was called the Beastly Kingdom and put those in there. And we'll have to talk about that more, flesh that out a little more as time goes on and they start building more. But it's it's interesting to me because they could do some of that stuff and call it Avatar Land and then just kind of put some of the other features in there that they had originally planned for. Or maybe they theme them a little differently or whatever. But I'm kind of curious because the whole thing just seems to me, again, the storyline is missing. Yes, it's Avatar. Yes, that's nice. But Disney, Disney has never really gone after anybody else's property in this way. Somebody else owns this property, and they're trying to develop something that is related to what they're doing, but they've never done this before. So this is uncharted territory, and I don't know if it's good or bad or where it goes. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, what about Star Tours? Isn't that something that was owned by somebody else? And the answer is yes. Um, Lucasfilm owned the uh, Star Wars rights, and Disney created one attraction that they put over at Disneyland that they were able to, uh, to uh, make work. But it wasn't a whole theme land. It was just one attraction. And then they were able to take that attraction and uh, copy it and clone it and put it over at uh, Disney World over in the studios, and they actually created more of an area for it. So yes, there is an exception to that rule, but in general, that was a well-established property, and they kind of had a very good plan for what they wanted to do with it. And they didn't do any more than that, they just created the one, the one ride and some of the uh, exterior exhibits that go along with it. So I'm still wondering where they're going to go. It may work out great. I'm not going to, you know, I can't ever count the Imagineers out. They, uh, they really have some good ideas. And that reminds me, my brother and I were talking the other day about some of the things that Disney is doing right and wrong and you know, some of the decisions that they're making these days, you know, and we both, we both said to each other, you know, we should be Imagineers from this com- for this company because we really get it. We understand what the bigger picture is and what elements are going on there. And we had this long discussion about all the things that we would change uh, at Disney World to make it more, re- rely on its history, but really draw and do some cool things that would be really neat but wouldn't be all the same sort of, you know, tie-ins to everything, and you don't need all these other tie-ins. Yes, you need corporate sponsorship like Disney had. I think that's the easiest way to pay for some of the things you've got, but you don't need to come up with all these different things like Avatar Land, and McDonald's had its big uh, influence over the parks and so forth. Those kinds of things, I think, don't have a place in the whole Disney uh, lineage. Just my opinion, and sometime I'm going to have to present to you all of the things that we thought of that could make the parks better. But that's a topic for another day. Today's uh, topic is really just talking about some of the things that are going on over at the uh, Walt Disney World Resort. And the other thing you see going on is uh, changes to what's going on with FastPass. So the uh, FastPass paper-based machines are all gone from the Animal Kingdom. I talked about that back in December. And they accelerated their program, and they're all gone now from Epcot and the studios as well already. They've taken them all out. They accelerated the program, and they took them out. They're also going to be taking them out of the Magic Kingdom within the next two weeks. They'll all be gone in the Magic Kingdom. I think they've covered some and they've moved some, but uh, there's still a few in use. But by the end of January, so about two weeks from now, they will all be gone from uh, the Magic Kingdom. So there will be no more paper-based FastPass system at the Walt Disney World Resort. It is all going to be FastPass Plus. Now, they have a a program for people who are not 
uh, staying at the hotel resorts and haven't pre-booked their vacation or anyone else who's coming as a day guest or anyone else who wants to make you know modifications to their arrangements outside of the norm of what, what they did for their uh, pre-planning. And that is to uh, have a, the kiosks available so you can walk up to them and plan your vacation and you get to pick and choose a few of the fast passes based on availability. So Disney has tweaked their model a little bit. Now, when they first set up FastPass Plus and had this online pre-booking registration thing that they were doing, they would have people come in and book six months in advance, and you know they would give out as many FastPasses as they could. The goal is always to minimize the wait time at the attraction if you're going in with a FastPass Plus. So let's say in every if you can if you can load ten people on in uh, in a minute you want to make sure that there's no more than 10 people in that one-minute window, right, that, are, that would be in line. So you've got to kind of plan it out. So in, over the course of an hour, you would have um, 60 times that, so you might have 600 people you're giving fast passes to. So the idea is very simple in, in its model that way. But Disney had to kind of figure it out so they could say, okay, well, how many can we give out to the people in advance? And then how many can we leave as paper-based tickets? And they've tweaked that model over time to make sure that the line stays at a minimum for the people with a fast pass so they can go right on. And what they're doing now with the, uh, the new way of having day guests being able to book Fast Pass Plus is they can finagle the day a little bit. So instead of coming up and you walk up to the Fast Pass machine where you had the paper ticket and it would say, you know, right now it's 9 o'clock in the morning and you can come back between 1 and 2 o'clock. What it'll do, it'll go in the system and it'll say, okay, what's available? Who's chain- How many Fast Passes did we have available Maybe it's 10% of the total fast passes. I don't know the number. I'm just making a guess here. Maybe 10% of the total fast passes are available to day guests or walk-up guests. So it'll look through and it'll say, okay, what times did we have available given the fact that all these people pre-booked? Okay, maybe there's a time between um, 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock and another one between 7 and 8. We'll give them the 2 to 4. And it does the algorithm to figure it out. And, you know, the next person that comes up may get the 7 to 8. So you go through all of that stuff, and it gives you all of those. There will also be people who have changed their fast passes and moved to somewhere else who then would now have that time available that the next person could get as well. So there's some flexibility in that. It won't always be that same window. So when I walk up and the person behind me walks up, they may get completely different return times. One may be 10 minutes from now. One may be two hours from now. One may be, one may be six hours from now. So you think about sort of the algorithm that goes into it, and it's really kind of fascinating the way Disney thought it through and said, okay, we could do this and make it really kind of work for the day guests or people who are not staying on property and come up and do it. So what they want you to do is come up to the kiosk. They'll give you a little form, and you look down, and you see, okay, you can pick one from this category, one from this category, and one from this category, depending on which park you're in. And it'll give you some different uh, categories, and you can pick um, those three attractions that you want to, that you want to put in there. And you can put all your guests together. I guess you'll use your RFID cards to be able to uh, put in the machine, and it would recognize you and then give you the FastPass to go along with it, or the FastPass Plus to go along with it. And then you would go ahead and uh, select the, the return time for your party, and it would find an, use the algorithm to find a time that works, and then put you in there. So it, I think it's kind of cool, because they figured out a way to make it work for day guests to be able to go in and be able to still take advantage of the FastPasses. Now, something else I noticed on my last trip. I was standing there, and I noticed that the queues were all very different than I remembered them being. It was a more popular time that I was there, and there were a fair number of people in the parks, but yet the wait times weren't tremendously long for any attraction because FastPass Plus was taking people out of the queues and changing their behaviors and when they were coming back. So I could wait in a standby line, 
and most of the standby lines weren't tremendously long. I'm not saying they weren't long. Some of them were longer, but they weren't the standard times that you would see. And depending on what time of day you went through, you could kind of figure it out and get into a kind of a cool queue and have some fun without having to book a uh, fast pass. So again, Disney comes back to kind of balancing how many people go into different attractions and where they go and moving people through the park in a reasonable way so that one part of the park is not more populated than another. So you get the benefit of being able to go in, stand in a queue that's well-themed and have a little fun if you want to without having to go through the fast pass line. And you don't wait that long and you're having some fun anyway, so it's really not that bad. I think the strategy changes the kind of mix of how long the standby lines are too. So you can kind of go in and still have some fun enjoying the standby lines and, you know, doing some things and not waiting that long to get in to see an attraction. Now, there was an anomaly that happened over the holidays. I was hearing about five-hour wait times. Yes, I said five hours. The, the posted wait times on some of the more popular attractions was well over 300 minutes in some cases because people were in the parks and they were, there were more people in the parks. And I think Disney has kind of changed some of their philosophy on what the uh, park limit is, what park capacity is. And, of course, the way that the closure works has changed over time, too, because uh, it moves down the list. It starts with people who are day guests just coming in, people who are annual pass holders, people are staying at the resort hotels, and then finally the people are at the vacation clubs because the people are spending more at the vacation clubs, they get the priority to come into the park. So it kind of works down that way, and at some point when it reaches their capacity, they'll close it, but they'll still try to let the vacation club people in, and they try to warn you up front that it's going to be more crowded that day and whatever. But I think they've tweaked the park capacity a little bit to make it a little bit more, uh, to let a few more people in the park. The other thing that goes along with that is I think as they were switching over from the paper-based FastPass and using the FastPass Plus, I think it left a lot of holes in the day where there weren't a lot of people using the FastPass system because they hadn't quite tweaked the rules enough so that the wait times in the standby areas got longer. I think if they'd have already had and established this FastPass Plus system for guests to walk up to a kiosk, it would have been much better. Now, I'm going to be going to the parks again uh, in March, so it's a couple months off, but I'll tell you what my experiences are like with the FastPass Plus and the kiosks and all of that thing. I've been reading up on it, and it seems like it's pretty cool. You walk in, there's a number of FastPass Plus kiosks you can go to, uh, guest relations at various uh, places within the park and so forth, and there were even a couple at Downtown Disney or Disney Springs that you can go into and uh, book your, your uh, fast passes. The, uh, for now, day guests who come in, people who are not staying on Disney property and don't have the wristband, will be limited to not using the application on the iPhone, Android, and whatever. They'll have to use the kiosk to be able to book their fast passes, but I think over time they'll probably let that uh, change and evolve, and they'll figure out a way to make it work. I think at the moment it's just you don't have anything to tie it to if you haven't bought your media already. I think annual pass holders probably will have the, uh, the, first, the first go at it, when they start to figure out how to let annual pass holders have the access to the tool and be able to book some of their fast passes in advance. But the day guests are still going to be problematic, though I think they'll find a way to make it work. Just my take on it. I think they'll figure it out. So there you go. That's the uh, Disney news I have for you for this week. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening. There is more happening than I can keep track of. I mean, every time I turn around or I read something else, there's something new happening. Just having gone up there and seeing how much construction, how much is going on and how many things are happening just blew me away. I mean, I was just amazed at, you know, how quickly things are turning and how, how things are moving. you got a new vacation club property that's being built over by the Polynesian Hotel now. 
the Spice Road uh, table over at uh, the Morocco Pavilion. It's the more quick service sit-down restaurant, I guess you could call it. Uh, that one is over. Uh, that one has been finished and o- is open now, and people can go in and make a dining reservation and go in and get uh, some good Moroccan food and enjoy something different in there. So there's a lot of things going on uh, that are just happening, just sort of you know coming to pass very quickly, and uh, you, it's it's easy to get lost in it and, mi- and miss them. I gave you the uh, the overview on my last podcast about how to, how Walt Disney World works and how it all fits together, and if you take it a step further and think about all the things that are going on. And, you know, new experiences and new things that are happening. I mean, it's almost like you need a little scorecard just to keep track of all this stuff. And again, that's why I suggest, you know, check the boards out. Check, call a Disney uh, authorized vacation planner and, you know, talk to them about some of the things you want to do. Or go to one of the big sites like allears.net and, you know, check them out. Because there's a lot of different things going on and they keep track of everything that's happening and everything that's new. And it's well worth your time to spend a little time there before you make your vacation plans because you may find out about some new experience that you didn't even know about. So that's my take on it. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this look at the uh, Disney news that's going on right now. And uh, remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. Now, please exit the moving podcast. The walkway is moving at the same speed as your podcast. Kindly take small children by the hand and watch your head and step. If you have questions, thoughts, or would just like to ask Dave a question, please send an email to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. You can always find Dave's Disney View on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Show notes for this podcast can be found on disneyworldpodcast.net. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound A Music. You'll find a link to the latest Disney-related autism awareness event on the show notes page. We also encourage you to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There are a couple of Disney-related apps, including a Hidden Mickey's app and a pin trading app.